0: I'll ask you to turn to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. We'll focus today on verses 8 and 9, but I'll begin with verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is the word of the Lord. We are very thankful today to have uh, speaking, preaching to us, uh, our Fred Ed Moore. Ed is the pastor of the North Shore Baptist Church in Bayside, Queens. He's been a pastor for a long time, and most of the time uh, he's served that flock in Queens. Um, Ed is one of our favorite uh, preachers, and I know many of our congregation, I know you guys uh, listen to him sometimes on Sunday afternoons. Uh, <laughs> to make sure that what you just heard was right. Um, we, we are so thrilled to be in fellowship with uh, that church and with uh, the churches that have been spawned from the faithful ministry at North Shore. Uh, Ed and his wife Anna have four kids and seven grandkids. And I think almost eight, eight on the way, one on the way. Um, Thankful for the Lord's blessing in their lives. Now, it is a a big-time, sought-after preacher. Uh, This time last year, he was preaching to tens of thousands of people across the world. So we're very uh, thankful that he is preaching in our our humble church. Uh, What a weekend it's been, and we give God all the glory and the thanks for that.
1: I hope you are thankful Oftentimes I will travel to a portion of the world and I will speak to the people that live there and uh, they have no idea that where they live is as beautiful as it is. Do, do you have any idea where you actually live here? Like, Do you ever walk outside and look around at this, this town and the surroundings? I hope you are thankful. Uh, this, is a, this is a gorgeous place we're happy to be here. I hope that you are thankful. I hope that you are thankful in knowing what a great church you have. Um, I don't think people often know that, but you need to know that, and you need to thank God for that. The hospitality which was extended to us this weekend, we were treated uh, like royalty the way that you work together as a church, the way that you love one another. I hope that you are thankful people because you have something very special and very unique here. I hope that you are thankful. I hope that you know what a great pastor you have. Uh, Teasingly, I refer to him as a super pastor because he plays the piano. Not only does he play the piano, it's like a Wayne Newton show. He plays every instrument but I tease him in saying that the reason why you have a good pastor is not because he plays the piano the reason you have a good pastor is because he loves Jesus Christ and because he proclaims the word of God and because he stands in front of you and cries over one of his sheep that is temporarily leaving I hope that you are thankful that God has given you such a great pastor and I hope that you express that appreciation Today, I'm going to speak on the subject of loving righteousness and hating wickedness. As was just read from Hebrews 1.9. The text says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, and therefore God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That is a direct quote from Psalm 45, verse 7. Psalm 45 was a psalm which was written by the sons of Korah. And that in and of itself is not only interesting uh, because Korah himself was rotten to the Korah, and swallowed alive by planet Earth because of his rebellion against Moses, which we read about in Numbers 16. But the fact that Korah would have descendants that were authors of Scripture, that is a bold demonstration of God's mercy and his kindness and his grace. Uh, Korah's offspring not only wrote inspired scripture, but even more importantly, they wrote about the coming Messiah. Psalm 45 is a messianic psalm, meaning that it speaks of and predicts the coming of the Messiah. It predicts details concerning the Christ. And so the author of Hebrews was familiar with Psalm 45, and the author uses Psalm 45, along with other Old Testament scriptures, in order to prove or to demonstrate that Jesus is greater or better than angels. He is better than angels because he is the Son of God. He is better than angels because angels serve him. And for our purposes today, Jesus is better than angels because he is God and he is ruling the universe. Now the entire quote which we get from Psalm 45 verses 6 and 7 is in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. Listen once again as I read Hebrews 1 verses 8 and 9. And as I read these two verses, there are three things that I want to point out to you that you should be listening for. Number one, it is the royalty or the kingship of the Messiah. Uh, The second thing that I want you to note is that as a result of who the Messiah is, he is happy, he is glad, he is joyful. Uh, But for our purposes today, the main thing that I want you to see as I read the text today is that that which sets the Messiah apart as superior to all others in the eyes of the Father is not his power, it's not his authority, it's not his might, but it is his holiness. Now, listen for those three things as I read these two verses. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. That is speaking there of his royalty, now of his holiness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, and now his happiness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Today I want to address the topic of loving righteousness and hating wickedness, uh, specifically how we as Christians can grow in holiness. Uh, But before we get to that, we need to actually look at these verses, and it's important that we apply these verses in their original context. So what do we have? Well, let's be clear. Hebrews chapter one verse nine does not instruct us to love righteousness and hate wickedness. In fact, Hebrews chapter one verse nine does not instruct us to do anything at all. Uh, this is a this is not uh, an imperative. This is an indicative. Not only is it not talking about you and me, but it is in no way giving us any instructions at all. It is describing Jesus. The psalmist is writing to and about the Christ. And in making this observation to the Christ, you have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness, he is saying nothing to us at all. I see a young man sitting in the third row today, His name is Justin. He's wearing a lovely yellow tie. And Justin, I just want to tell you right now, from my perspective, I am very happy that you have sat close to the front of the church today so that I can see your tie. I like your tie. I think that that's a good combination with that shirt. Good job dressing yourself this morning. Now, in saying all of that to him, I have given you no instructions at all. If you say to yourself, well, maybe from now on when I go to church, I too should wear a yellow tie. Well, that would be something you would have to deduce from what I say, but I didn't say anything to you. I didn't give you any instructions at all. I am just saying something about him. And when the psalmist and when the writer of Hebrews says of the Messiah, you have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness, there are no instructions there for us at all. But we need, before we look at our own righteousness and look at our hatred of wickedness, therefore then to concentrate upon the holiness of Jesus Christ. We need to, and it is fundamental that, we look at Christ and we, along with the sons of Korah, acknowledge him as a lover of righteousness and a hater of wickedness. And we need to say to Jesus, the lover of our souls, Jesus, we know that you are a lover of righteousness and you demonstrated that love of righteousness when you came into the world and you were born of a virgin and you are righteous by nature. And Jesus, we know that you are a lover of righteousness in that You perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the law of God. And your Father said to you at your baptism and at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, we know that you have proved that you are a lover of righteousness in that you resisted sin and temptation, that you were in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And Jesus, we know that you are a lover of righteousness in that you always do those things which please the Father. John 8, 29. You loved righteousness, and you summed it up perfectly when you were speaking to John the Baptist at the River Jordan concerning your baptism when you said to him, it is is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You need to know, with no instruction given to you, that Jesus is a lover of righteousness. But you also need to know and acknowledge, along with the sons of Korah, that Jesus was a hater of wickedness. Lord Jesus, you made it very clear that you hate wickedness when you cast Lucifer out of heaven. And you made it very clear that you hate wickedness when you ejected Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And you made it really clear that you hated wickedness when you flooded the whole world and you only left eight human beings alive. And you made it really clear when you commanded the ground to swallow up our father Korah. You made it really clear that you hate wickedness when you overturned the tables of the money changers twice in the temple. You made it really clear that you hate wickedness when you created a hell to punish those that are wicked. And you really made it clear that you hate wickedness when you actually cast people into hell. Jesus, you, through your life and ongoing ministry, have demonstrated that you are a lover of righteousness and a hater of wickedness. So that's what the text is saying. It's saying nothing to us, it's saying nothing about us. Now, we can deduce things from that, however. Uh, For example, as image bearers of God, we know what love is and we know what hatred is. But please understand that the strongest and the most pure form of love that you have is tainted by and distorted by selfishness and sin, Christ, when he loves, does not love as we love. He loves perfectly. Uh, Likewise, any hatred which we have, as much as we would like to call our hatred righteous indignation, our hatred is in some way tainted by our own sinfulness and our selfishness. But Christ, when he hates, he hates righteously and perfectly and deeply. You see, Jesus has a capacity for love and hatred which exceeds even our most vivid imagination. And His love is aimed at righteousness and His hatred is focused on wickedness. So, this is more than just stating that Jesus was obedient to God's will, but I really need you to catch this this morning. It is that Jesus when he looks at righteousness and when he looks at wickedness, he is emotionally engaged. Uh, His feelings and emotions are described here. Love and hate. He is not just doing the right thing because he was supposed to do the right thing. He is invested. He is engaged. He is into it. He is not going through the motions. Oftentimes, our obedience to Christ is based upon just knowing what the right thing to do is. You remember the story of Peter? He's fishing all night, he catches nothing. Jesus says, take the net, throw it over on the other side of the boat. And Peter's response is essentially saying, Lord, I'm a fisherman, Like I, I kind of know what I'm doing, this is how I make my living. We have toiled all night, we've caught nothing. I'm telling you, ain't no fish in this sea. And then he says, nevertheless, at Thy command, I will do it. And he throws the net onto the other side of the boat, And the catch is enormous. But Peter, when he is initially doing this, is not engaged emotionally. He's just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And often, very often, my obedience to God is carried out with something shy of love and passionate emotion for doing the right thing. Uh, My reaction to sin is often not based upon a hatred for sin, but I shy away from it because I simply know intellectually that it's the right thing to do. But Jesus, when He deals with righteousness and when He deals with sin, is into it. Listen to how A.W. Pink puts it. Herein we perceive His uniqueness. How often our obedience is a reluctant one. How often... God's will crosses ours, and when our response is an obedient one, frequently it is joyless and unwilling. Different far was the Lord Jesus. He not only performed righteousness, but He loved it. End quote. And hallelujah, what a Savior. So we are supposed to love righteousness and hate wickedness, but we don't always feel that way. So what we need to do now is we need to make the link between Jesus Christ and ourselves. We have spoken about him and we must speak about him. But what should we do with this information? Why should I love righteousness? Why should I hate wickedness? Well, let me give you one reason it it It's not stated in Hebrews chapter one, but it is stated in the book of Amos chapter five, verse fifteen, which simply says, "Hate evil and love good, hate evil and love good." So the reason why you should hate evil and love good is because you are commanded to do so in the Bible. But there's another reason, and I think that this other reason is going to help us more, get into it more, and that is that we should love righteousness and we should hate wickedness because we are called to be imitators of Christ. Remember what it said in 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let me read that verse again. Latch on to it. This is your motivation. This is what is going to actually help your heart to love righteousness and hate wickedness. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And therefore, if Jesus loved righteousness and hated wickedness, I should do this too. But unless we understand the importance of righteousness and wickedness to Jesus we will not see the need to cultivate similar emotions. So, before I go any further, I think I need to stop, I need to interrupt myself, and I need to tell you something very, very important. And that is, you do not become a Christian by loving righteousness and hating wickedness. You do not become a Christian by imitating Jesus or striving to be like Him. You become a Christian by realizing that you can't do those things and then realizing that Jesus did do those things and that he did them for you and by believing that he lived perfectly in our place and then believing that he offered his perfect righteousness as a record before God on our behalf and then realizing that he took our sins and our sorrows and he made them his very own and that he took our sins upon his own record and paid for them upon the cross that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day that Jesus paid for all of our sins that is how you become a Christian I become a Christian by believing that Jesus swapped places with me and that he is my substitute Then I cry out to Him to have mercy upon me and to save me. And I have to believe that there is somebody in the room today that is not saved. And so what you need to concentrate on today is not so much your behavior in terms of loving righteousness and hating wickedness, but you need to know that what you need is a perfect righteousness before God and you do not get that by behaving better but you do that by looking to Christ believing that he lived and that he died for you and so we're talking about righteousness today and there are two types of righteousness there is the righteousness that goes along with the way that we live and then there's a righteousness which is An alien righteousness, and when I say an alien righteousness, I don't mean that we got it from E.T., but I mean it is a righteousness which is given to us by another, and that is the righteousness which is imputed to us by Christ. I love righteous living, and I love imputed righteousness, but I love imputed righteousness more than I love uh, 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 righteous living, and here's the reason why. When I get to the final judgment and I stand before God to be judged, my righteousness is not going to help me any, in any way before the throne of God above. The only righteousness in that day which I will claim is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, we need to understand that we are not saved by living righteously. However, if we are saved, one of the signs that we are saved is that we will have a love for righteous living. And so let me say it in a cliche way but maybe a way that you will be able to remember that, this, and that is that the way that you can tell whether or not Jesus is in your heart is whether or not Jesus is in your heart. How do I know that Jesus is in my heart? Well, is Jesus in my heart? Do I have a love for Him and what He loves, and do I have a hatred for what He hates? You see, I can tell you what you are supposed to do. And I am going to do that to some degree this morning. I'm going to tell you how you ought to walk and how you ought not to walk. I'm going to do that to some extent this morning. I can explain all of that to you and I can back it with Bible verses, but what I cannot do, what I am not capable of doing for you today, I cannot make you love righteousness. I cannot put a hatred for wickedness in your heart. You cannot change what you love and what you hate. 1976, Barry Manilow, trying to get the feeling again. Anybody here old enough to remember Barry Manilow? Whatever happened to that guy? Okay. Yeah, it's a good song. Like he's trying. He used to be in love with this girl. He's trying still to love her. He no longer loves her, and he's giving it an effort. He's trying to get the feeling again, but it just isn't coming. I can tell you what you are supposed to love and what you're supposed to hate. I cannot put that in your heart. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. And so the way you know whether or not the Lord is in your heart is, is he? in your heart now i'm not saying that christians live by feelings i understand that we live by faith and not by sight i understand that we get down and we grow cold and 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 that we have a battle with the flesh i am sympathetic to all of those things but as new creations in christ one of the ways that you know whether or not jesus is in your heart is whether or not jesus is in your heart In other words, there has to be some sort of desire which comes from the Lord which makes you love what He loves and hate what He hates. And therefore, knowing that you cannot change your own heart and knowing that I cannot convince you to change your heart, how then do we develop the mind of Christ to love what He loves and to hate what He hates? This is the key to the sermon. This is the most important thing that I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to give you nine practical points of application at the end of the sermon. They are not nearly as important as what I am about to say right now. If you have not been listening up to this point, lock in right here. If you don't intend to listen for the rest of the sermon, lock in right here. This is going to be the most helpful thing that I'm going to say today. How in the world do we develop a heart to love what he loves and to hate what he hates? We come to realize that love is from God. And if you're a thinking person right now, you ought to be saying to yourself, I agree with that, but what does that even mean? How does that tie in here? Well, In order to get the best of anything, you go to the source of that thing. And we read in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. And in the very next verse, it says that God is love. The way that you get anything is to go to the source. And it is important for you as a Christian to know your duties. To know what you're supposed to do and know what you're not supposed to do. However, knowing them is not going to enable you to do them with delight. Let me say it again. Know what your duties are. Know what the Bible says you are supposed to do and not do. You've got to know the Bible inside out. But simply by knowing it inside out, it's not going to enable you to do it with delight. What you need is the love of God in your heart to give you a love for righteousness and a hatred for wickedness. And you need to admit that by nature, left to ourselves, we do not love righteousness. And by nature, left to ourselves, there is something, and I'm talking about in really good Christians, there's something in the heart of every single one of us. I'm talking to saved people now. There's something in the heart of every single one of us that has a gravitational pull or a love for sin. How do we change our hearts? The power of the Holy Spirit comes into us and gives us a love for Christ. And it changes our mind. It it changes our thinking. I mean, think about your own conversion. And I'm speaking now to people who are saved. There used to be a day when you had no interest in God whatsoever and you did have a love for sin and you were doing these sinful activities and then all of a sudden the Lord saves you. Now He saves you and you go back to these sinful activities and now they are now distasteful to you all of a sudden. You used to really love them and now you can't do them anymore. Why? Because you've been given a new heart. And think about righteousness and godliness and holiness and Christians. Remember how you used to be so put off by Christians, you did not want to be with them. They seemed really weird and really strange. And now something has happened in your heart. Not only do you now tolerate these people, but you love these people and you want to be with them and you want to be like them. What has happened? Something has happened in your heart. The way that you love righteousness and hate wickedness is that you get as close as you can to Jesus Christ Jesus is God, God is love, the source of love is God himself. And so I can tell you all the rules, I can give you mechanically what you should do and what you should not do, but it is not going to come about in your heart and therefore in your life until there is a change in your heart from drawing close to Jesus. So it's important to look at Jesus to see how he lived But being educated in the ways of Christ is not going to give you a love for what Jesus loves. What's going to happen is actually getting close to Christ Himself. And when that happens, what is going to follow is going to be a natural pursuit of righteousness and a natural hatred for sin. Doing what comes naturally. Could you imagine that if every time you ate a meal, someone had to, before the family sat down to eat, someone would say, all right, let me explain to you now what's going to happen. Um, you have a body. This body has to be sustained by food. And so what you're going to do is you're going to take your fork and your spoon. You're going, to, you're going to take it and pick up what's on the dish. and You're going to put it in your mouth. You're going to need to chew it, okay, and then you swallow it. And what this will do is this will help you live and you can be sustained. So, so in just a minute, we're all going to sit down and we're going to start putting food in our mouths and chewing them and, and swallowing. If you have to talk like that to someone, they are by definition very unhealthy and I would say maybe even dying. When you sit down to eat a great meal, It is natural. It does not have to be explained. Likewise, in the Christian life, if it always has to be explained to you, you're supposed to do this, you're not supposed to do that, and here's why you should do this, and here's why you shouldn't do that, instead of, no, I want to eat this because it tastes good and because I'm hungry, and I want to love the things that God loves because I love Jesus and because He loves me, and all those things that He hates, Ugh, they are disgusting to me why because they are disgusting to him and he loves me and i love him it is more a natural thing than it is a mechanical thing so that's the most important thing that i have to say to you today get close to jesus and you will love what he loves and you will hate what he hates nevertheless I think it would be important today if I did give you some practical instruction concerning how we are to go about developing a love for what he loves and a hatred for what he hates. And so I want to give you nine points today. I want to give you nine points today They follow no progression. They follow no order. Maybe the ninth point is the most important one. But these are just random thoughts concerning loving righteousness and hating wickedness. But but please know that anything that I am about to tell you is not as important as what I have already told you. You get close to Christ Himself, you have the heart then to love what He loves and to hate what He hates. But here are nine things that maybe practically can help you. Number one, be acutely aware of the fact that you are living in an upside-down world. Be aware of the fact that you are living in an inverted world. We are here together, we are singing God's praises, you're going to walk out that door this afternoon, you're going to go to your jobs tomorrow, you're going to go to your schools tomorrow, you're going to turn on your television sets, and what you are going to hear is going to be an inversion of what is good and what is wholesome and what is true and what is right. The value system of the media and of the educational system is upside down. It's Memorial Day. I am thankful for the United States of America. I am thankful for those who died so that I can stand in this pulpit and say whatever I want. I am thankful for freedom. I am thankful for this country. But please know that our country is increasingly becoming inverted, upside-down, and that good is bad and bad is good. Here's the world that you live in. Joe Biden, immediately after he was elected, said that on his first day of office that he would give transgender students access to sports and bathrooms and locker rooms in accordance with their gender identity in federally funded schools. And he was applauded for that. You, you understand what he's saying You send someone to school, they're born a male, but they would like to go into the ladies' room because that's what they think they are. Our president will get behind that, and he was applauded for that. Uh, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The world that we are now living in, not used to be the world that we were living in, tolerated sin now what is happening is the world that we are living in celebrates and promotes iniquity and mocks that which is wholesome so if in society you stand up and you say no if you're born a boy then you are a boy and you're going to become a man and you're going to go into the men's room if you say that you are a caveman you are archaic and you will be slandered for your bigotry. Whereas if you say, use whatever bathroom you like, whatever you're feeling on that day, just use that bathroom, you will be applauded. Please understand. And the reason that I make you aware of this is I just need you to know, I think you know this already, but I need you to know, you walk out those doors, you immediately will be swimming upstream. You will be a tiny minority and you will be swimming upstream. The world you live in is inverted. It is upside down. Uh, Number two, pray and ask God to change your affections. And as you are praying, be honest with the Lord. You can't fool Him, but say, Lord, I want to be very honest with you. I love you, but I don't love you enough, and I want to love you more. I am not enthused by goodness. And Lord, I want to be honest with you, I am drawn to darkness. And I agree with your word that men love darkness rather than light. Oh God, I pray to you, will you please change my heart? Will you please give me an appetite to desire holiness? And change my moral taste buds and cause me, God, please, to be repulsed by sin. In other words, you need to pray what David prayed in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51.10 Oh Lord, please change me. And number three. This is going to be a hard one. Because we are curious people. Uh, we are drawn to the darkness. There, there, there is within our hearts a gravitational pull toward darkness. Number three is this. Try intentionally to be as ignorant about sin as you possibly can be. Try to be as ignorant about sin as you possibly can be. By that I don't mean knowing the way that sin works and being ignorant of the devil's devices. What I'm saying is, you don't have to know everything that is going on in the world uh, being aware of uh, the latest and the vilest. First uh, 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil. Be infants in evil. Be infants in evil. In your thinking, be mature. How do I become an infant in evil? I become an infant in evil by allowing my mind to be captivated or entertained by sin. And so my question to you today is this. Are you willing to be socially ostracized because you are not familiar with the latest movie and the content in it? that would be blasphemous to the Lord, or the latest lyrics to a song that everybody else is humming along to and singing, but the lyrics are vile. Uh, Are you willing to be slightly crippled or handicapped when it comes to social media? Uh, Are you willing to say, "I I don't need to know that, and I don't need to have access to that? Are you willing to be infants in evil? So I had heard about TikTok. I did not know what it was. I had heard about it. I hadn't heard much about it. And an incident came up at our church last year whereby the elders needed to become aware of something that was going on uh, uh, on that. And so a a, a video, uh, a short video was sent to us uh, but i 'm not really sure like what the whole like the thing i didn 't know really kind of how it works, so you get the video that that was that was forwarded to us, and then there are additional videos that you can uh, forward to and this like watch the next one and so forth, and so on. I think I might be the only person in the room like that didn 't know that, but I did not know that, and as I started to watch these things, I noticed uh, okay um, Do these girls have fathers? Do they have parents who in any way care about them or know what they're doing? My second thought was, oh God, we're all going to hell. And my third thought was, is, are there people who call themselves Christians that have access to this that are looking at it with any form of regularity? It's not just that I am out of touch. This is vile. This is vile. And so I would say that if you care about your soul... Let me just say this. If you have no interest whatsoever in loving righteousness and hating wickedness, then you might want to make that a steady diet of what you look at. But if there is any desire to love what Jesus loves, and to hate what Jesus hates. There should be no access to this whatsoever. Paul says, do not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Romans 13, 14. Jesus says, what you need to do is you need to get a really sharp stick, and you need to gouge out your right eye, and you need to get a really sharp knife, and you need to cut off your right hand. And Paul says in Romans 12:9, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Now, again, the point that I'm making is assuming that you want to desire holiness. If holiness is not your priority, then what I'm saying is absolutely crazy because you'll be committing social suicide, you won't be invited to any of the reindeer games, and you will be, uh, uh, you will be archaic in society. But if what you want is holiness, you need to try as much intentionally as you can to be ignorant of sin. Or, to put it another way, if you are culturally aware of the coolest forms of sin in society, maybe you won't participate in those things. You probably will, but maybe you won't. But I will tell you what you will not do. You will never develop a taste for righteousness. You will never develop a taste for righteousness if what you are consuming is garbage. Number four, beware that most of what passes for humor is actually hated by Jesus and put him on the cross. Most of what passes for humor is hated by Jesus and it put him on the cross. You say, wow, you are really heavy today. You are really a killjoy. No, what I'm trying to do is to promote joy. Remember what it says in Hebrews 1.9. That Jesus has been anointed with the oil of gladness beyond all His companions. Meaning that Jesus was not only happy, but Jesus was happier than anybody. And herein lies the paradox and the mystery. Those who find the greatest degree of holiness will correspondingly be the happiest. The happiest people are the holiest people. So I am not against humor. I try myself to be humorous. I am not funny. I try to be funny. I'm not. Uh, But I know that joy is something which the Lord Himself promotes. I know that in Psalm 16, verse 11, Jesus, who is at the Father's right hand, is experiencing the fullness of joy. I know that Jesus is not opposed to humor. I know that the Bible says in Proverbs 17:22 that a joyful heart is good medicine. But I also know from living in the world that most—when I say most, I mean like north of ninety percent—most of what passes for humor is grounded in and propelled by sin. And I want to tell you that Jesus is not laughing. About 30 years ago, in fact, 31 years ago, I was a youth pastor. We had a youth camp. One of the things you want to do at youth camp is you want to help the students laugh and you want to do things that are funny. And, and, and that, that's part of a good youth camp. And so on one particular evening, we had done some skits for the students. And so you have your skits, and then you have your song, and then you have your sermon. And after the sermon was over, one of my fellow youth pastors came up from another church, and he was weeping, and he said, Ed, do you realize that everything that we did in those skits was actually making fun of or making light of sin? And I thought to myself, he's right. Think of the incongruity. In the sermon, you are telling the students, love righteousness, hate wickedness. In the songs, you are telling the students, love righteousness, hate wickedness. And then in the preliminaries with the skits, we are saying, sin is funny, laugh at it. Friends, I want to tell you, Jesus is not laughing. It doesn't matter how clever the punchline is. It doesn't matter how good the delivery of the comedian is. He hates it, and you should hate it too. Ephesians 5.4, let, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. I would just ask you, as you are listening to jokes this week and as you are watching movies and television or listening to the radio and there's something that is intended to be funny, keep score and note, I'm not talking about the quality of the humor, I'm talking about the intent of the humor, keep note of how much of it is actually intended to be propelled by sin or to promote sin or to make fun of sin. Number five, very practical. Keep good company. If you surround yourself with godly people, you yourself will become godly and mature. You will become like them. We are like the people that we are around. There are six people in my family, all of us, love the Mets including my wife. My wife was raised an Atlanta Brave fan, but she became a Met fan. Why? She was infected by the rest of us, and and now and it's, it's a disease which is incurable. She didn't become a Met fan so that she could have a better life. If she had stayed a Brave fan, she would have a much better life. But no, she was sleeping with the dogs and she woke up with the fleas. You, you, you are what you are around. And so if you're intentional associations are with people who are ungodly, you're going to become ungodly. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You should be loving to all people, and you should have loose acquaintances with people that you are very friendly to for the purpose of evangelism. But friendship, deep friendship, should be reserved only for God's people. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Evaluate honestly your circle of friends and ask yourself, does this person with whom I am associating contribute to my sanctification and if they do not you should distance yourself from that person and you should seek out mature godly people who love jesus christ and as you are around them and they are promoting holiness you too will learn to love righteousness and to hate wickedness remember what the lord said in the sermon on the mount blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled keep good company number six Verbally cheer for righteousness and boo wickedness. Verbally cheer for righteousness and boo wickedness. Not, not literally clapping or booing. But use your lips to make commentary on the world and when you see something that is a delight to the world, to the Lord, do not keep silent but acknowledge it. There's a man in our church, his name is Vinnie Nizzo. Every morning he sends me a devotional, a poem... And in it, he's either talking about how God is great in nature or in providence or his love or the sacrifice of Christ. Why does he do that? He does that because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so he loves righteousness and he speaks of righteousness all the time. Likewise, when you are in a setting and unrighteousness is something which is In plain view to all, don't keep your mouth shut. Speak. Point it out. Ephesians 5.11 Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Here's the hard part. But instead, expose them. Acknowledge righteousness verbally. Acknowledge sin verbally. Don't sit there silently. Number seven, meditate upon God's Word. It is important to read God's Word, praise God, but that which will change your heart and your mind is meditating upon God's Word. Psalm 1-2. But his, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. Romans 12:1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? By feeding your mind constantly with God's Word and concentrating and meditating upon it. Psalm 119, verse 74. I long for Your salvation, O Lord, and Your law is my delight. You see, if you don't love the Bible, you will not love righteousness. You can't love Jesus unless you love righteousness. Therefore, meditate slowly upon God's Word. It's said of the Puritans, they lived slowly enough that they were able to meditate deeply. Number eight. I only have two more. Think about what sin has done. Think about what sin is doing. Think about what sin will do to you and others. What is it that caused the prodigal son to get up and to make his way home? For crying out loud, I don't have anything to eat. my, my, My father's servants, they're eating better than me. For crying out loud, the pigs are eating better than I am. I, 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 I make an evaluation of my life right now, and it's not going so well. Therefore, I need to see what sin has done for me, and I need to run from it. You see, Satan is very crafty. He will put a fresh coat of paint on sin all the time, and he will actually make it look pleasurable. But what you need to do is to follow the story down the road and see where that sin eventually leads. Play it out. What have been the results? Who was hurt? What are the consequences? And do this not just with the future, but do it with the past. And here's where your mind really has to be trained to be disciplined. Here are sins which you have committed in the past, either before you were saved or since you've been saved. What do you do with those sins? If you think about them in nostalgic ways, if you coddle them, if you hide them in a corner of your heart, and if you protect them as things which you actually enjoyed and want to remember in a positive way, that's a sign that you are not loving righteousness and hating wickedness. But if, as you think about your past, it disgusts you. and Because here's how it works, ladies and gentlemen. When you are actually committing the sin, at least here's how it works for me, when I'm actually committing the sin, I am not thinking about how beautiful righteousness is and how bad wickedness is. I just want what I want, and I commit the sin. And maybe instantly after I commit the sin, I am like Peter and the cock crows, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done? But as time goes on, and you think back months and years and sometimes decades to the sins that you used to commit, if as you think about those sins, you think to yourself, oh God in heaven, what was I thinking? That was horrible. I wish I had a time machine. I would never do that again that is a good sign that you are actually on the way to loving righteousness and hating wickedness. But if as you think backwards in your life and you coddle those sins which you committed in years gone by, that is a sign that you are nowhere near having the mind of Christ and loving righteousness and hating wickedness. Think about what it is doing to you think about what it is doing to your wife thinking about what it is doing to your testimony think about what it's doing to the kids think about what it is doing to the fame and glory of Jesus Christ sin will make you sad and sin will make you stupid and you need to think about how sad and how stupid you will be as a result of the sin my father was a was a very wise man he wouldn't just watch television He would always give commentary on everything that was going on. Back in the 60s, he would say to me, Eddie Boy, you look at this. The best commercials on television are the cigarette commercials. They have the most handsome actors. They have the most beautiful actresses. They have the best setting. They have the best music. It's put together better than any other commercial on television. But Eddie Boy, what you will never see is someone on a hospital bed hooked up to oxygen dying of lung cancer. They're never going to show you that. The devil is never going to come to you with the bottom line. What you need to do by grace is look to the bottom line. That is that the wages of sin is death. Sin put Jesus on the cross. The way that you begin to hate it is to see where it has taken you, where it is taking you, and ultimately where it will take you. And ultimately where it takes people is to hell. And if we could just meditate upon the reality of hell, it would put a hatred for sin in our hearts. Finally, finally, Perhaps most importantly, practice righteousness and you will learn to love righteousness. Practice righteousness and you will learn to love righteousness. 1958, the Teddy Bears had a song written by Phil Spector. To know, know, know him is to... Both of you, thank you very much. That was good. (laughs) Yes. How how is it that we come to love righteousness? By knowing it. uh, By doing it. See, I think part of the reason why people don't love righteousness is because they don't do righteousness. Well, when you look at serving the Lord and serving the church and giving to others and witnessing and showing hospitality, visiting the sick, attending prayer meetings and helping people along in their faith. Perhaps to you this seems inconvenient, it seems burdensome, it seems bothersome. But I will submit to you today the reason why it seems burdensome to you is because you've never done it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. James says in James chapter 1, verse 22, "...but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves." That is a very famous verse. In that discussion, James ends it in chapter 1, verse 25 by saying this, "...but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts." Listen to these words. "...he will be blessed in his doing." it does not say that you will be blessed as a result of having done that. What James is saying is, as you do the Word of God, what will end up happening is, as you are doing the Word of God, the actual doing of it will be a blessing to you. And so those of you that know the joys of righteousness... You know the joy of serving. You know the joy of putting yourself at the end of the line. You know the joy of being at a prayer meeting. You know the joy of singing His praises. You know the joy that comes by being deeply in love with Jesus Christ and spending yourself radically for the church and for the people of God. You don't need this point because you're already doing it and you know it already. But for those of you who are on the fringes, you're on the periphery, And you're saying to yourself, on the surface, it doesn't seem like that much fun. I'm saying, jump right in and you will find that there is nothing more fun on planet earth than living out a righteous life and loving Him. You will be blessed in the doing. And so, taste and see that the Lord is good and jump right in. Remember, that the ultimate reward for all of this is extreme happiness. That Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above his companions and likewise too, as we learn to love righteousness and hate wickedness, the result, the corresponding result will be that we too will be happy, happy people. Praise be to God.